Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is a place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. All right, welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. We have a special podcast for so many reasons here. First, technologically speaking, this is the first time we have two in-studio guests here. Normally, our conversations happen by way of Zoom on the podcast. Number two is we are using today's podcast, which will drop at some point during the summer months, as a way to introduce our two new fabulous interns here at Park Avenue Synagogue. Uh, For those of you in the know, or I'll tell you now if you don't know, that uh, through the good graces of Dorothy Tapper Goldman of Blessed Memory, Park Avenue Synagogue is able to hire two of the best and the brightest coming through seminary or Hebrew Union College um, who are training to become rabbis or cantors where they spend usually two years with us Um, And they learn a whole lot about what it is to be a clergy person in addition to their formal training in seminary. And hopefully, I imagine they also learn a few things that they shouldn't do when they grow up to be rabbis and cantors out in the real world. So it's both an investment in their education, but it's also an opportunity for us to learn from our interns. And so uh, Sierra Fox has joined Park Avenue Synagogue this summer of 2023. She is a fourth year student at Hebrew Union College, um, which trains reform uh, rabbis, cantors, educators, and otherwise, the flagship institution of the reform movement. And we have Aiden Pink, a fourth year rabbinical student at my alma mater, the Jewish Theological Seminary, uh, and he has just joined us this summer as well as our rabbinic intern. So first of all, Aiden and Sierra, welcome to Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. Thanks very much. Good to be here. Such a pleasure. Well, it is terrific to welcome you to the podcast, but more importantly, to the community itself. Um, I'm going to just begin uh, with you, Aiden, and we'll go in order and we'll turn it into a conversation and let's have some fun. So, Aiden, uh, where are you from? Why did you decide to, maybe you're not yet a rabbi, but you decided to at least go to rabbinical school? Yeah, well, I grew up really involved in the conservative movement at my synagogue, Adath Yashurin in Minnesota. Um, my, I have family members who served as uh, synagogue presidents. I was really active in USY. I think at one point I held the record for most USY election losses. Uh, <laughs> so I really loved being a part of, Jew, of, of Jewish community. I went to a summer camp, uh, Herzl Camp, which is a non-denominational camp in Wisconsin, uh, both as a camper and a counselor. And um, after college, I was really just scrambling to find any job I possibly could and fell backwards into journalism, 
Um, I was uh, covering U.S. foreign policy for a while, and then I moved to New York to work for The Forward, the Jewish newspaper. Um, and so I got a really in-depth exposure to uh, the inner workings of the North American Jewish community, both how it works and sometimes how it doesn't work. And I got to thinking, you know, I'm writing about what's happening, but I'm not really being a participant. I'm only being an outside observer. And I really felt like uh, I wanted to help play a role in shaping the American Jewish future. And so that, in combination with a couple of, of spiritual experiences that happened to me while I was on assignment uh, reporting, made me think that maybe rabbi was something that combined a lot of my interests of uh, Judaism and Jewish people, of learning and teaching, of growing together in community. Uh, I talked to some mentors and friends who'd gone through the rabbinical process. They told me it wasn't a bad idea. And uh, then I uh, enrolled at JTS, and I've been there ever since. Awesome. Well, welcome, welcome, welcome. Sierra, same question to you, though not a rabbi in training, a cantor in training. Um, tell us a little bit about you and this journey to cantorial school. Yeah, so my journey is very different. Um, I grew up really not very involved in Jewish life. Um, my parents really weren't sure about uh, what they wanted to do as a family. They were both raised Jewish, but they, they didn't want to force anything on myself and my sibling. Um, and so they just kind of let us figure things out for ourselves. We didn't, um, I didn't become a bat mitzvah in my adolescence. Um, I never learned Hebrew. I would go to holidays with my family, attend my, uh, my cousin's b'nai mitzvah, but I always felt like it was a, a shut door for me. Um, and I ended up going to school for music. Um, it just felt like music was the most beautiful way with which to communicate with people. And I ended up working for uh, Reform Congregation Knesset Israel as a ringer in their choir. So I would just come in and help out um, the altos and make sure that it was a smooth musical experience and prayerful experience for everyone. And I, I fell in love. I mean, I had always wanted to be involved and this felt like such a, a way for me to be a part of something. Um, being there for a sermon about Israel then inspired me to finally go on a birthright trip uh, where I finally took a Hebrew name. It was recommended to me by the man who was organizing this ceremony where we could take or reaffirm our Hebrew names. And he and his 12-year-old son, who had never met me before, both recommended the name Shira, which means song. Um, and I was at a point in my life where I was about to give up music. Um, it felt like it wasn't helping people in the way that I had wanted it to. And here I was, taking the name Song in Israel and feeling connected to my identity in a way I'd never felt before. Still had no sense that I could ever be a cantor, even though apparently when I was about seven uh, at my cousin's bar mitzvah, I listened to the cantor and said, that's what I want to do when I grow up and was told girls can't be cantors, which I just believed it was not true. Um, I'm not that old. And so I just, I shelved it and I never thought that it would be something I could do and then in 2018, I filled in for the cantor at um, Knesset Israel. And the singing part was, was fine. Like I, I like, uh, you know, it, that part's fine. I 
didn't feel like I was in great voice, but I felt like I could communicate peace and comfort and love to a congregation. And that felt like the job. And I was told I could leave after that. My job was done, but I knew that the cantor there would stay and she would talk to everyone. And getting to talk to people in that congregation after the service during the Oneg was the catalyst for everything that has happened since. And I had people say, I don't sing, I can't sing, but when you sing, I feel like I'm able to sing through you. Or my husband passed last month and your presence on the bima and your voice have given me my first chance to heal. And I went to my car and I cried for 20 minutes and I found the cantor the next week and said, I can think of nothing else and I don't know what this means or what to do about it, but I think if I don't find a way to do more of this, I might die. Um, there's nothing else in my brain but this. And she said, you could do this. So I dove into learning Hebrew, felt that door swing wide open for me, applied to Hebrew Union College, and here we are. And here you are. Um, outstanding to both of you. What a lucky American Jewish community we are to have the two of you as future leaders. Uh, and what an amazing opportunity it is from for Park Avenue Synagogue to learn from the two of you uh, and to help shape your continued education. Uh, it's striking to me just how different um, your narratives are, right? Aiden, you kind of have this poster boy, child, USY, proud product of Minnesota or wherever and, you know, and, and uh, I mean, your big, your, your left turn was to go work for Jewish journalism, right? You never really veered that far from it. And now you're just, you know, on the applied side of the trade as opposed to just writing about it. Um, but Sierra, your, your story is, uh, you know, an outsider in, right? The, the, you didn't have a bat mitzvah, you learned Hebrew later, you have sort of had these series of experiences um, where, you know, very, very different than Aiden, who one could say, and here I'm going to rabbi explain, right? His sort of, he's come up through the ranks, and you're coming in through the side door. And, and it, it makes me wonder, right? They're both incredible, like, What's actually most important for um, the American Jewish community? Because um, one might think that um, rabbinic or cantorial education be the, the culmination of a lifelong uh, commitment to Jewish practice and learning. But hearing your story, Sierra, I'm also thinking that story of seeking access to a tradition um, which is not self-evident, is probably more resonant with far more alienated American Jews than the Aiden Pinks of the world. So I guess let me just open this up for discussion. I mean, and maybe even in your classrooms, um, like I don't know what the HUC or JTS, I know a little bit more about JTS, but are most of the students um, sort of from the, the Aiden Pink kind of students, or most of the students, the Sierra Fox kind of students, and what narrative um, do you think sort of, you know, uh, positions you to serve American Jewry? I don't know, that's a, a multi-part 
question, but just I would, I'd love I your would thoughts. say it's a, at least in my school, it's a it's a pretty fair split between students who they probably wouldn't use this word to describe themselves, but objectively grew up as insiders in the Jewish community, um, and then the other half, roughly, would be people who I wouldn't say are were necessarily outsiders because many of them grew up with very strong. Jewish identities, but didn't grow up surrounded by the Jewish institutions that I had with, with day school and, and, and synagogue, for example. But I think, um, I mean, in our community, both locally here at Park Avenue Synagogue and broadly in the American Jewish community, there are so many different touch points that uh, a, a Jew, who, a, a young Jew of any age who is looking for some sort of, of Jewish content or Jewish meaning can find. And just, you know, just as every person is unique and will find some aspect of Judaism that, that calls to them, you know, hopefully between our collective unique experiences, we can craft enough different types of, of forms of engagement where something can appeal to people to bring more people in or, or, or bring them in in a more meaningful way. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I think at HUC, we have a similar kind of breakdown. We have plenty of students who come through the pipeline, as we call it, and you know, they, they've grown up knowing that they want to be a rabbi, they want to be a cantor, they want to be a Jewish educator. And then there are others who came to this later in life and had a moment where they felt a calling, or uh, we have some incredible Jews by choice in the program who are going to be incredible rabbis, cantors, or educators. And um, I think I spoke earlier about feeling like this door was opened to me that had been closed for so long. And I think a lot of people who are Jewish but aren't fully connected to their Jewish identity feel similarly, that there are doors that are closed to them. And some people need a door open to them by someone who has grown up with this their whole life. And someone needs someone to open the door who came to it later on and felt a calling. There need to be as many doors as possible, and there need to be as many different kinds of people as possible to open those doors for our community. Right. There's a ver right the reminder central to our tradition. Remember, you were once a stranger in a strange land. Oftentimes, we think that that might be the immigrant, the person who's impoverished, the person at the periphery. But it's kind of us as Jews, right? Remember, you. There are people standing on the outside looking in, and. It's the job of Jewish educators, rabbis, and cantors to create those access points. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I think we're very lucky to have different models of, of clergy leadership as embodied by the two of you. Um, so what is, was there an influence, can you name a person sort of in your education? You mentioned the, this cantor in, in the community who sort of tapped you, Sierra, and you tapped them back, as it were, and said, how do I explore this thing? Uh, Aiden, what, what about you? Was there, was there like a personality that you can turn to and say, if not for this person, or this person tapped me on the shoulder and said, what do you think of being a rabbi? Um, what, is there a personality? Well, I never got a formal tap on the shoulder, but I do think that my rabbi from my hometown, Shul, who I'm, I'm proud to call a mentor and teacher, Rabbi Harold Kravitz, um, who actually is, in addition to being the rabbi at Adath Yashirin, is also the president of the Rabbinical Assembly now. He, um, he signs my paychecks. Yeah. <laughs> he, um, uh, I mean, in addition to being just a great uh, mensch and, and dugma, a role model, and one of the things that he modeled is being a part of the community and learning and growing with the community. He's uh, in the process of winding down 36 years at the synagogue. And to have had him be a part of my life and my family's life in life cycle events, both 
you know, happy and sad uh, in terms of like running into each other at the grocery store. I'm friends with her daughter. Um, that part of those sort of thick bonds, as sociologists call it, that can only really be developed by being in a community for a really long period of time and, and learning deeply about the people whom uh, I don't even want to say serve because I think that implies that it's a one-way relationship when in reality I think any successful a uh, person in the clergy knows that it has to be a two-way relationship in which, you, in which you receive as much as you give. And so I think the way that he's modeled his uh, rabbinate, both in terms of the, you know, the way he leads the synagogue, but also just in terms of the way he um, has lived his life and, and by example, I think is one that has been very powerful on me and one that I wish to emulate very much. One way you see Absolutely. I mean, you, you, I, we said it before, Cantor Amy Levy at uh, Reformed Congregation Knesset Israel. Um, when I came to her and I said, I don't know what else to do, but I have to do more of this, she gave me the most incredible advice. First thing she said was, if this is the community with which you want to share your gifts and talents, you could do this. You could make this your life, and you need to realize that it will be your whole life but why don't you just take a week and dream about it? Don't think about any of the complications. Don't think about any of the logistics or issues that might come up. Just take a week to imagine what your future would be like if this were your path and see how you feel at the end of the week. And it was a great week. And there were logistical concerns and there were other problems to overcome and there will always be. But when I think about this as my future, a future that she opened up for me in many ways, it's the greatest feeling in the world. And she really demonstrates the way in which being a cantor is a clergy job and not a music job. It's a role in which music is a tool to help people in their prayer, in their Jewishness, in community, and not the primary function to just sing beautifully. Do you think... I spend a lot of time thinking about the pipeline problem. And, you know, it's not, not that we're plumbers here, but the idea of generating the next generation of Jewish communal leadership. And for me, it's kind of a weird thing to realize I'm no longer the kid in the room. Uh, I'm the establishment, and I think about sort of who's going to uh, be leading us when I step off stage right or stage left, or whatever the expression is. And uh, the numbers are not great, right? I, I think in my rabbinical school class, there might have been about 40 people. How many, Aiden, are in your class? 10, Ten right? And um, I'm not sure how HUC and JTS and rabbinical and cantorial programs, but the numbers are not sort of off the charts. And I, I guess a two-part question. Uh, number one, uh, your diagnosis, right? I mean, I'm sitting across from two, you know, totally impressive human beings who are crazy enough to make a lifestyle choice of going into the clergy. And yet not everyone is doing that or not at the same numbers. And I'm just curious, like, what your thoughts are or if your friends think you're crazy or if you have friends who thought for a month that they might apply to rabbinical school, but now they're working for Deloitte or something like that. Like, what, what, what's actually the lived experience of young people making career decisions? Um, and then the second part of the question is, you know, if you had 
a, a million dollars, right, or more, right? What would you do, right? Would you make, you know, based on the diagnosis, would you make tuition-free? Would you shorten seminary education? Do we need to invest more in rabbis in the field so the job is more attractive? Do we need more shoulder tapping at Jewish, like create like a teen fellowship to encourage people? So two-part question that we could talk about for hours, but I'm just curious, um, well, what do you see about, uh, about the diminishing numbers as a member of, as two people have opted in? Yeah, I, I mean, my friends feel similarly to me um, in thinking, how did it take me so long to realize this is what I wanted to do? It seems like everything I've ever wanted combined into one role. Um, so they don't think that I'm crazy, uh, but they do realize that it is a lot. Um, I do have several friends who have told me that they have always wanted to be a cantor. And there are various reasons that they can't. What are, um, are those financial? Are those the duration, the yeah. loans, the, or just? Absolutely. So for many of them, um, the primary issue is that they're in interfaith relationships. Um, and as it stands, that precludes them from uh, going to rabbinical or cantorial Even school. Even HHUC, you can't be Even in HUC. An, um, okay. I didn't so know that. Okay. yeah, it's it, there are uh, conversations. There's a dialogue that's just started about maybe changing that, especially since Hebrew College has recently removed their ban on interfaith relationships. Um, but that that is something that precludes several people, at least in my experience, anecdotally, from okay. following this as a as a path. It's also it's a long program. Five years is a long chunk of your life to dedicate to school to then dedicate the rest of your life to this work. Um, for me, it just seemed worth it. And I'm, I'm learning so much every year that it would be hard for me to imagine condensing it into much less than it already is. Um, but I'm intrigued by uh, HUC, I know, is, is coming up with some shorter or um, hybrid programs with partial residency. Um, and there are all sorts of things in the works to potentially create more opportunities for people for whom this is not an option. You know, it's it's difficult to uproot your life and move to Israel for a year, which is usually That's how our program would programs. start. Yeah. Although, admittedly, being the year that started in 2020, um, I did not spend a year in Israel. I spent la uh, yeah. last summer. Pandemic yeah. excluded. Yeah. <laughs> but generally. Um, and then to move to New York, which is prohibitively expensive for a lot of people. Um, so... Imagining okay. options, if I had a million dollars, options for helping people with relocating costs besides tuition, um, you know, it's, it's a difficult thing to do for a lot of young people who could do anything with their lives. It's daunting. What about you, Aiden? What's a diagnosis? What's a cure? Yeah, well, there's been a lot of great reporting on the so-called pipeline problem um, that I sort of observed um, both in my former role as a journalist and now sort of on the inside. And I think a lot of it has to do with demographic factors. And I think people, that's a little disappointing because people want to think that there's some magic button that you can push. But it actually is a culmination, I think, of a lot of long-term trends. First of all, that uh, conservative Jewish families did not have a lot of kids, which meant that there are fewer conservative Jews of the next generation. That's not a good or bad thing. It's just a phenomenon that led to a, a shrinking of the possible 
pipeline, even if 100% of people wanted to become rabbis. I think also the uh, studies show that the two things that are most successful in inculcating Jewish identity in the next generation is uh, sending your kids either to Jewish day school or to Jewish summer camp. Both of those things are prohibitively expensive, especially day school, or in the case of summer camp, attendance is at 100%, and once you hit that wall, if you're not already in the system, it's very hard to become a part of it. Obviously, as we know from Sierra's story and many other stories, some people will find their way in, but it becomes a lot harder. And I think the third phenomenon is knowing that around 75% of non-Orthodox uh, Jewish weddings are between one person who's a Jew and another person who's not a Jew. Frankly, the conservative movement in general did a really bad job up until the last 10 years of welcoming people who are in uh, relationships in which there's more than one heritage. And so the children that came from those marriages, were not, it was not a priority to be part of a community that didn't want them. Thankfully, now I think the conservative movement is doing a lot better of a job, by no means a perfect job, but a lot better job at welcoming interfaith families. And so actually the studies show that interfaith families now are much more likely to raise their kids Jewish than they were 15 years ago. And so I think hopefully we'll see more you know, young people come up uh, in the next 10 or 15 years as they reach maturity and adulthood. But I think, I think uh, we set ourselves back, uh, unfortunately, in, in a lot of ways that will take time for uh, the conservative Jewish community in particular to recover. All right, we're going to pivot and then pivot one more time. So uh, Park Avenue Synagogue, you're here. You could have, you guys are the best and the brightest. You could have interned anywhere you chose us, aside from the dazzling, you know, clergy team that you're a part of. You know, what, what, what are you excited about, about uh, being part of Park Avenue Synagogue? Well, the dazzling clergy team is... A clearly, <laughs> clearly a plus. It's pretty dazzling. I mean, it's, this is the best place to learn and grow. And for me, coming from a reform education to be in this place, I, I'm learning things that I would not possibly learn otherwise if I had gone through the normal placement process through my school, working in a reform institution. There are just such differences in liturgy and how we incorporate all of our prayers, how we explore our identity and Jewishness. And this, this is the place to do it. This has all of the elements of spirituality, religiosity, musicality that I dream of exploring. And I can't imagine a better place to do it or better people to learn to do it from and with. I mean, the, the synagogue's resources are unparalleled. I don't know how many other synagogues have a podcast, for example. And just the fact that there's so many different things that are happening here on any given day, um, from classes to trips to all this great uh, experimentation within, within the service structure, there's just so much for me as a, as a student to learn from. But I, I think also it's worth saying that you know, the biggest budget in the world wouldn't make a difference if the people in the community didn't care. And even though I've only been here for two months, you know, I have admittedly a limited perspective, but it's really been uh, amazing in a, in a great way to see how much the people of this community care about its welfare, about the other community members, how eager they are to stretch themselves and try new things, to continue to engage in, in, in new classes and new experiences year after year, and to also maintain their consistency in coming to Daily Minion, for example. Um, there's uh, very few, communities that I've encountered that 
that have those qualities. And so I, I, I am very happy to be learning not only from you and the other clergy, but also from, from the members of, of the synagogue itself. Amen. Amen. All right, speed round. Ready? With no prep whatsoever. Let's, let's do it. Okay, let's do it. Favorite Jewish food. Sierra, go. Ooh. Too uh, late. Pastrami sandwich from 2nd <laughs> Avenue Deli. Okay. Uh, Aiden, favorite biblical figure? Uh, Nachshon. Oh. Sarah. Sarah. Sarah, okay. Um, uh, your favorite Hebrew letter and why? Um, Kuf, because I always get it confused whether it comes before or after Resh. <laughs> Aleph, because it's the breath before the sound. Um, favorite Jewish song? Sierra, you get to go. Oh, uh, I love Gerald Cohen's Adonai Rovi. That Psalm 23 always hits me. I'll take Leonard Cohen's Who by Fire. A bit of a downer, but I love it. Wow. Um, okay, favorite Park Avenue synagogue rabbi? Oh, well, I think it has to be. Answer the question, Sierra. <laughs> All right, oh. you don't have to answer it. Uh, I think we're going to stop there. <laughs> Thank you so much to Aiden Pink, to Sierra Fox, our fabulous new interns. Uh, you can call them, you can email them, you can't text them because I'm not telling you what their cell phone numbers are, but we are a stronger community already for your contributions. We can't wait to learn from you, with you, all together as a community into the years ahead. Thank you for joining Park Avenue Synagogue Podcasts. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.